So if we haven't met before, my name is Tony, and I'm one of the pastors here at Tabor. Uh, most of the year you'll hear me up here preaching, and if we haven't met yet, I hope that we have the opportunity to do that after service. I'll be out at the Welcome Center, and if you bring me your connection card, I've got a small gift for you just to say thanks for being here, thanks for worshiping with us. also want to welcome everybody who's joining us on Facebook Live this morning. We're really glad that you are with us. And uh, we know you'll probably watch several times before you'd ever consider being with us in person. We are just fine with that. Let us know who you are, where you're at, and if you have any questions about Tabor, reach out. We'd be happy to answer them for you. Uh, I want to start with this today. We're going to be talking about the second I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. We've already We've already hit the first one in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. He says, I am the Messiah. And there's, of course, several more. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Today we're in the second one. I am the light of the world. And it's hard to, it's hard to overstate how important this verse is. There's an incredible amount of truth and meaning that goes into this passage. Uh, But Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not have to walk in darkness because they will have the light that leads to life. And that reminded me of a video that I saw recently of a, a woman. She was out snowboarding and she was recording it on her GoPro, and you know she had a, a great run, and she gets to the bottom of the slope, and then she's looking at this video later, and she realizes that she's been followed by a bear the whole time. There's this giant bear that's running as fast as it can to keep up with her, and she didn't know it at the moment, but she was very close to being mauled by a dangerous animal on several occasions, and it occurred to me that that's a lot like what happens in our lives with sin. And see, when we're in the dark, when it comes to sin, we live our lives and we don't understand how close we are to being mauled by our sin. How close we are to destruction. How close we are to going over the edge in this area or that. And it's only when the lights come on that we realize how truly lucky we are. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm here to turn the lights on for you. So if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. I'll have it up here on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. But John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, Jesus says, here it says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself? Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge by human standards. I don't judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I'm not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. 
Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. And if you knew me, you would also know my Father. And Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. So we're going to be talking about this passage. I am the light of the world. And I want to start by talking about where Jesus is when he makes this statement. And when he makes this statement. So I need you to understand, this is still during the Festival of Shelters. We started talking about the Festival of Shelters last week. It's, it's where the people of Israel remembered what God had done. He led them out of Egypt and guided them while they were in the wilderness. He provided manna and quail, and He led them uh, through the wilderness and provided for their every need at every junction. We summed it up this way. The Festival of Shelters is about looking back in reverence so that you can look forward in confidence. The people remembered what God had done for their ancestors so they could see what God was able to do in their present circumstances, and they'd be able to trust God for what He could do in their future circumstances. It's about looking back in reverence so that you can look forward in confidence. And one of the ways that the Jews remembered God's past provision during shelters was uh, a part of shelters called the illumination. And here's what would happen. They had these giant, well, it's just one giant candlestick, and there were these uh, five basins in it. So they didn't have candlesticks, uh, the, the candles, but they had this giant candlestick with basins at the top. This thing was 75 feet tall, and at the top it would have been like uh, a cut-and-half barrel full of oil, and they would use used priestly garments as a wick, and this giant candle would burn for the first seven days of the Feast of Shelters. It was said that the light was so bright that it could be seen from anywhere in Jerusalem. No matter where you were within the city of Jerusalem, you'd at least be able to see the glow of the illumination candle. And uh, just to give you a frame of reference, here's kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, again, this is actually 75 feet tall, and they would climb up there to, to throw in the garment and refill the oil and have that lit. It would burn for the first seven days, uh, and on the eighth day, on the eighth day, the flame is extinguished. And all of the light that it provided, and all of the 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 illumination that was provided by this massive, massive flame is gone, and it's very apparent that it's missing. And this is when Jesus gets up and says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. It's hard to overstate how important this statement is. The Jews, they remembered how they followed God in the wilderness. They remembered all of the things that God had done for their ancestors. And what Jesus is saying is, following me will be better. Following me will be better. And, and so Jesus is saying in a very real sense, you followed the pillar out of Egypt, you'll follow me out of sin. You followed the pillar for a time, you'll follow me forever. You followed the pillar for a better life, you can follow me for eternal life. Following me will be better. 
And as Jesus stands in the temple where the lights have recently gone out, He's saying, it's not just the Jews who can follow Me. It's not just the Jews who can follow Me. Because you, you understand, in verse 12, Jesus doesn't say, I am the light of the Jews. He doesn't say that, does He? He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. It's not just people who are living in Jerusalem that will benefit from the light I have come to bring. I am the light of the world. Anyone who chooses to follow me will not have to walk in darkness. This light is for everyone. And here's what's most incredible about this. Jesus, he came to turn on the lights, but he didn't just come to turn on the lights. He came to turn us into light. And I love that about him. He came to turn us into light. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here's why that matters to us. Our job as a church is to be light in this community. So if you're engaged here at Tabor, if you're involved, if you consider this your home church and this is where you serve from and this is what you want to do, your job is to be light in this community to show off the hope that you have in Jesus when you leave here. And if you're new at Tabor, understand how we view ourselves. We view ourselves as sources of light and hope and encouragement to the people we encounter on a regular basis wherever we go, whenever we leave here. And no matter who you are, if you're new here or if you're regular here, church is about, church is about more than what happens when we're here. In fact, church is as much about what happens when we're not here as what happens when we are. It's as much about what happens when we're not here as what happens when we are here. Church isn't, isn't about coming on Sunday morning and being happy with the song service. Church isn't about coming on Sunday morning and giving a grade to each song and saying, I like this one, but I didn't like this one. And this one was okay, but we sang it too fast or we sang it too slow. And I didn't like the sermon. You're not going to like the sermon anyway, so you're going to have to deal with that. Okay? It's not about coming on Sunday morning and evaluating what happens and deciding if you're pleased or unpleased with that. Church is about being light to the community. Because real light doesn't shine for an hour on Sunday morning. Real light shines in the darkness. Real light shines in the pain. Real light shines when hurting people are at the end of their rope and you're next to them. That's when the light shines. Churches full of people who were formerly darkness, but are now light in the Lord and are striving to walk as children of light every day. So I'm going to tell you this. Nobody in here is better than anybody else. Nobody in here thinks that they're better than anybody else. We're just a bunch of people who have been forgiven. We're incredibly grateful for that, and we live differently because of it. There you go. That's Mount Tabor. We're grateful because when the lights came on, we saw what was really happening. You, you know what it's like to be in the dark, right? It's kind of disorienting. It's kind of, it's kind of unsettling to be in the dark. I get up pretty early, and uh, the rest of my family is still asleep. And that's fine, but 
so I don't wake anybody else up. I, I leave the lights off in my room. And in the daytime, I love my room. It's a nice room. I like it. I know where everything's at. It's good. And, uh, and I, I just like my room. In the, in the daytime, I have a bedroom. In the darkness, I have a minefield. I'd, in the daytime, it's a nice place to be. In the darkness, it's very frightening. Did I put my shoes away? Where's the dog? Hope I don't step on a Lego. Where's the curling iron? I don't want to step on that again. In the daylight, I have a bedroom, but in the darkness, I don't know what I have. And that's the problem. Because darkness conceals. Light reveals. Darkness conceals all the pain that comes with sin, and it just shows off the fun. It conceals all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the tragedy that's associated with sin, and it just shows you the glamorous and the fun. And, and maybe if this is your first time in church today, can I just be real with you? I mean, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Sometimes sin is fun. All right? I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's not. Sometimes sin is fun. Sometimes doing exactly what God has told you not to do can be fun for a while. For a while. But what you find is that the deeper you get, the less fun it gets. And the darker it gets, the more dangerous it gets. And one day you'll wake up and you'll give anything in the world to get out. But you can't. Eventually you'll find yourself in a place where it's not fun anymore. And the darkness conceals all of that. And it just shows you the fun. It may be fun to flirt with your coworker. Get a little spike of adrenaline when the conversation starts. But I bet it's no fun to explain to your kids why mommy and daddy aren't going to live together anymore. It may be fun to try that drug at that party. But I bet it's no fun to have withdrawals so hard you hallucinate living nightmares. It may be fun to never say no to yourself and go on vacation wherever you want, live wherever you want, and buy whatever cars you want, go out to eat all the time. It may be fun to live like that, but I bet it's no fun to file chapter 13. And what we're saying is that darkness conceals all of that pain. And the light reveals it. One of the reasons that people were so opposed to Jesus as he lived on earth and did his ministry, was that they didn't want the light to reveal what their darkness was hiding. That's why right after Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, here's what the Pharisees say. You're making these claims about yourself. Your, your testimony is not valid. Let me explain what's happening right there. Jesus is preaching, and in the middle of his sermon, somebody stands up and says, let me translate that for you. In the middle of his sermon, somebody stands up and says, you're a liar! And you're not preaching truth. I know that not all of you like me. Uh, Jeremy Bai sends me an email once a week talking about all the things he doesn't like at Tabor. And, and, uh, and I know that, that not all of you like me and all of you agree with everything, but I think it would take a special level of contempt and hatred to stand up in the middle of the sermon and say, you're a liar. Brian Ferguson came close last week, but... But, uh, but I think it would take a special level of contempt to actually do that. The Pharisees do it because if Jesus is a liar, he's blaspheming. And if he's telling the truth, he's going to expose them. 
See, one of the reasons that the people were so opposed to Jesus is because they didn't want the light to reveal what their darkness hid. And one of the reasons that people are so opposed to Jesus today is because they don't want the darkness to reveal. They don't want the light to reveal what their darkness is hiding. And, and if that's you, just listen for a second. I'm going to tell you something you're probably not going to like, but i got to tell you anyway. Things aren't going to get better in the dark. You're not going to just wake up one day and magically figure it out and say, oh, I'm, I'm good now. I've got it. You're not, going to, you're not going to find yourself in a situation where everything is just okay and now all of a sudden you can see in the dark and you're comfortable and you've got it under control and you've got it handled because at the best, you're just going to ignore a problem that exists and at the worst, you're going to feed it. You're not going to figure it out on your own. You need to consider confessing whatever you've been keeping in the dark. And that coworker you enjoy flirting with, somewhere in you, you know, you know that that's not right. But you'd never confess it because you're afraid of what it might do to your marriage. But when it comes out, guess what it'll do to your marriage? And you know that you might be getting a little too comfortable with prescription medicines, but you don't want to confess it because it might cost you your job. And if that comes out, guess what it's going to do? It's going to cost you your job. And you'd never confess whatever that thing is because you know that people would look at you funny. But if that comes out, guess what? People are going to look at you funny. And listen, I'm not saying that confession's easy. Confession isn't easy, but it's exponentially easier than explaining what someone else discovers. Confession's hard. It's awkward, but it's doable. Explaining what someone else discovers is earth-shattering. Here's what you need to know. Whether you have something to confess or something to explain, Jesus is ready to forgive. Jesus is ready to forgive, right? This is not going to be a situation where you confess something to someone and everybody picks up their rocks and proceeds to stone you and persecute you and run you out of the church and say, don't come back until you get it figured out. That's not what happens with confession. And I know this because of what this story follows. Right before Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, you know what happens? He's talking with the, the Pharisees in the, in the temple, and they bring in a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses says stone her to death, and everybody picks up their rocks. And they ask Jesus, what do you think we should do with her? And Jesus says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone, and all the rocks fall. Jesus looks around and says, where are your persecutors? And he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Understand that if you need to confess confess something today, if you need to bring something before Jesus, understand that He is ready right now to say, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. That's what confession brings. Jesus is ready to forgive. A lot of people play this game where they say, I'll start going to church when I get my life cleaned up. I'll start going to church when I figure this thing out on my own and we just shove it into a little corner of our own private darkness and let it live there. And let it exist. And we, we never end up going to church because we never actually do anything with that. We don't have to do that on our own because we can't do that on our own. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He didn't say, when you turn on the light... 
follow me and I'll help you walk in the light. He didn't say, get your life cleaned up and come follow me and I'll help you keep it clean. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not have to walk in darkness because they will have the light that leads to life. Remember what I'm about to say. Jesus didn't come to show good people a better way to live. Can I say that one more time to you? Jesus didn't come to show good people a better way to live. He came to rescue people from darkness. And here's what you need to know about that. You don't need to be good enough. You don't need to show proof of a history of good decisions. You don't have to be free of regret or pain. You just have to realize that following Jesus is a better way forward than the one you've been taking on your own. And if that's you, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not have to walk in darkness because they will have the light that leads to life. I want to talk about that last word, life. Life. Light that leads to life. In Romans 6, Paul says, if you've forgotten that when you were joined with Christ, Jesus in baptism, you were joined with him in his death, we died, we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That new life starts in baptism, but that's exactly what it is, is new life. New life. Now, I don't consider myself to be a parenting expert, but I do have two humans that were once infants. And here's what I know about infants, once newborn babies. Here's what I know about them. Newborns need help with everything. I mean, they just need help with everything. There's not a thing in the world that they can do on their own. They need help with everything. And maybe the hardest thing for me about my faith is that I'm not as mature as the people I look up to. The people I look up to in my faith, the people that I admire and respect and strive to be like in my faith, I'm not as mature as those people. And that's hard for me. Because I'm not farther along in my faith. The truth is, sometimes I don't feel like I'm walking in my faith. Sometimes I feel like I can roll over and put my foot in my mouth, but walk in my faith? Not so much. I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to relate to this or not, but uh, raise your hand if you've ever had to put a two-year-old in a car seat. Anybody ever had to put a two-year-old in a car seat? That may be the hardest thing that human beings do. I'm, I'm not sure that there's anything more challenging than that. Maybe putting a man on the moon was up there, but it's not as hard as putting a two-year-old in a car seat because here's what happens. They kick, they scream, they throw. You're convinced that they're demon-possessed and they arch their back and they kick and you get one arm in. You start to work on the other and the other arm goes back out and it's just impossible now, I didn't know that a human body could wiggle in that way. And like, what are you doing in the driver's seat now? You know, it's just not easy to do. And ultimately, what they're doing is they're fighting against something that's there for their good. They don't want to do it. And it's, it's fighting against something that's there for their own protection and for their own good. And that's a pretty good illustration of how God must feel about me sometimes. 
And I have these situations and these struggles that I face, and I kick, and I scream, and I fight, and it's for my good. And God's saying, this is for you. This is good for you. And I get one arm in, and the other one goes out, and everybody's convinced I'm demon-possessed, and it's just not good. And that's a pretty good example of what my faith is like sometimes. Can anybody else relate to that? Don't raise your hand. Okay, we're good. Growing in your faith is like growing as a human. When we're born, you, you don't walk, you don't talk, you don't feed yourself, but you learn. And, and later you look at the older kids who can run faster than you, and you say, I wish I could do that. And you grow into that. And, and you envy the kids who hit their growth spurts, and you hit yours. And, and you long for the day when you get your driver's license, and then it comes, and you wish for graduation day. All of these things come to pass, and the same is true for your faith. You have these milestones that you long for, and these people that you look up to. And here's what I'm saying that day is coming. Just stay faithful, just continue in your faith today. And that day is coming. If you stay faithful, you will look like the people you look up to. So I spent the the first part of last week at a conference for growing churches in small towns. I tried to explain to them that we're not actually in a town, but they invited me anyway. So I was there, and there are a lot of people in that room that I look up to. Uh, A lot of guys who are seasoned in ministry, and there's just a lot of people I look up to in that room. And here's what I learned through the conversations that we had that week. All of the things that I struggle with, all of the things that, that I'm insecure about, all of the mistakes that I've made, the only difference between me and them is that they've already made them. And they stayed faithful. And so here's what I'm saying to you. The things that, that you struggle with, that you're insecure about, that the mistakes that you've made, the only difference between you and the people you look up to is that they've already made those mistakes and they've just stayed faithful. Wherever you are in your walk, in your faith, in your life, just stay faithful. And the day will come when you look like the people you look up to. Not by your own power, but by God's power in your life. Just stay faithful. As a church, we need to, we need to understand. Uh, Jesus was preaching John chapter 8. He says, I'm the light of the world. And there's a lot there for us. So as a church, we need to understand that it's as much about what happens when we aren't here as it is about what happens when we are here. Okay? It's our job to be light in our community. That's how we'll see communities changed by Christ. And maybe today you need to admit that following Jesus is a better way forward than the one you've been charting on your own, even if that means confronting some of the things that you've been hiding in the darkness. Or maybe today you just need to be encouraged just to keep going. You may not want to. You may not want to try in your faith anymore. You may be discouraged. You may want to give up. Remember, you may not be who you want to be, but you aren't who you were. So just stay faithful. John chapter 8, Jesus is preaching. In the middle of the chapter, John writes something. It's really simple. It's really beautiful. He says simply this, 
Many who heard him say these things believed in him. Most of the time when we read a passage like that where people believed in Jesus, it's because of something they saw. Jesus stills a storm and the people who saw it believed. Jesus cast out a demon and many people believed in him. Jesus heals somebody who's sick or paralyzed or raises somebody from the dead. And many who saw it (coughs) believed. But this is the time when Jesus is just talking. He's just preaching. And many people believe. Jesus talked about a better way and people believed. And my prayer all week has simply been that you might hear what Jesus is saying and believe it. So if you need to acknowledge that following Jesus is a better way forward than the one you've been taking on your own, my prayer is that you would make that confession today. That you would begin this lifelong process of repenting of your sin, of shunning the darkness and living in the light. That you would confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to stand. You can go ahead and stand now. And if you need to make that step today where you say, I don't want to live in the darkness anymore. I want to walk in the lights. You can come forward and we'd be happy. We'd be privileged to baptize you today.